0: Hi, Jacqueline.
1: Hi Taylor. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good.
0: Welcome everyone to episode 16 of the Honey and Heart podcast. If you're new here, we talk about womanhood, leadership, and everything in between. We release new episodes every other Wednesday and you can find us on Instagram at Honey Pod or our website honeyandheartpod.com and there you can sign up for our email list and you never have to remember which Wednesday.
1: Whenever we send it, if you want to be the first to know, make sure to sign up for our email list. If you're a part of the Honey and Heart community, thank you so much for being here. Shout out to Bo McDowell, as always, for adding to the soundtrack that is Honey and Heart. And let's get into it.
0: What's going on in the world, Jacqueline? You watched Bo Burnham's new special, right?
1: Yes. Inside, I believe.
0: Yeah. I watched it, too. I kind of put it off for a minute. I've always liked Bo Burnham. Like, I watched his stuff in high school. Did you?
1: Yes. I think that of the early YouTubers I was watching, Bo Burnham was definitely one of them. Like, I liked following... I've been following him on the internet for a while, it feels.
0: Yeah. always thought he was so smart. And overall, I liked his special. Did you?
1: I did. And I also thought, too, on TikTok, some people were saying you know, their thoughts and opinions, and some of it was, like, criticism, or maybe they felt like Bo in his special was, like, criticizing certain, like, movements or people, but I thought it was really insightful, and even though, like, you know, I am a white woman with an Instagram, I was not offended by the song. I definitely got where he was coming from with it, and I think that, uh, his commentary is, like, really funny, and I agree with you. I think he's very smart. I think it comes from, like, a clever place.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think, obviously, there were parts of it that was like, whoa, that's real blunt, though. Yeah. Little, little dark at some points, and I think that was his intention. I don't know. I'm, like, still trying to figure out in my head, like, I I obviously don't think he was, like, isolated for that much time during the pandemic, right? Like, that's fabricated part of the special that's what I would assume like he has a girlfriend I'm sure he has friends like he wasn't just in his um apart I I mean his he probably lives with his girlfriend I think so like I'm trying to figure out or, or maybe I'm reading into it too much of what parts actually fabricated and what parts real and like I'm sure a lot of it is like obviously stuff he's thought about and Um, Maybe it's commentary too. I've been thinking about this. If it's like. It's basically like a white man realizing things that people have known for a long time.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And his
0: grappling
1: with it. And truly, when he has a moment of like, well, maybe I should stop talking and let other people. And he's like, no, I'm bored. Um, (laughs) And I just thought that that was like really honest. I do think, though, I've kind of been trying to. Probably over examine it, but I think there's a bit of like artistry too. And this is something that I kind of like to analyze with a lot of the people we see on the internet. I think, especially when people share part of their lives or started being creative on the internet, we feel like closer to them and we feel like it's all very autobiographical that like everything they're sharing is like their feelings. But I think that like Bo Burnham and a lot of people, even people on TikTok, YouTube, whatever they're putting things out there that are like very insightful, very thoughtful. And I think sometimes it just comes from a place of like art. I don't know if he always felt as isolated as he comes across in the show or in the special, but I do think that he was like pulling from a place of loneliness and what loneliness looks like for other people. And, you know, we are interpreting that reflected back on us. So I thought it was interesting. I was wondering the same thing too. Like, is this really like him grappling with like depression or is this just
0: art? Yeah. Or, you know, a little bit of a, bol- mm-hmm. a little bit of both, probably. <laughs> I have, not to get too meta and not to take us on too many tangents <laughs> before we get into it, but I have been like thinking about it a bit. I like, uh, I don't know, watch some video, like every other idea I get, right? That's where it starts. Watch some video, but it was like, talking about how anyone who's like portraying themselves, like has a persona online is not exactly how they are in real life. And I think that's true for anyone who has a persona online because you're not getting the full picture. You're just getting that little piece that they're putting out there. Even if they are like sharing their lives or a lifestyle blogger, it's like, That's not everything. And so how usually people are like, you know, playing a character in a way and portraying a certain image. And now that we've been recording the podcast for a while, I'm like, is who I am on the podcast like... I mean, we're performing to an extent. Totally. (laughs) Full transparency. (laughs) Well, and I mean,
1: I, I, I even listen back to some things and I'm like, I don't know if that's like my opinion. I don't know if that's how I feel all the time. I don't know if I would say the same answer today that I did, you know, last week when we recorded whatever episode, but I think that it is a, it's an interesting thing and it's something that I've noticed even with myself and like my Instagram. Like what I show and how people interact with that is like very different than the person that I am off Instagram. And I think with the podcast, it's you and me having a conversation. We're coming at it like very openly and honestly, but there definitely is like a performance aspect of this. This is like not. This isn't us, like, private in our living room, like, drinking wine knowing no one's listening. This is, like, us aware that there's someone on the other side of this. Even you and I are, like, talking through a computer, like, to keep up mm-hmm. this, like, kind of casual conversation. There's there's some, like, thought and planning and performance that goes into it. Absolutely.
0: Right. It's pretty meta, though, because I also, like, since we've been friends for so long, it's, like jacqueline's one person that makes me feel like super comfortable like when we have a conversation. So it's like in a ways I feel like more myself when we're talking and then in other when we're talking on this platform and recording then I don't I know it's so weird. It, it leads me into a little existential crisis about identity sometimes.
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting too like sometimes I think I'm coming to the podcast kind of doing my own thought analysis performing. You're coming to the podcast doing your own thought analysis performing. And there's definitely like a world where that's not compatible, where like you're coming to it wanting to have a certain type of conversation, navigate a certain way, and I could be coming at it totally different. Thankfully, I think we are really compatible in this space, but I've been like that before sometimes where... Even something that my friend will say or they'll post or a video that they want to do. I'm like, oh, that's not really like who I share myself to be. That's not, I'm not going to like share that to my Instagram story. You can share that to yours. Yeah. But it is just interesting to navigate like all the layers.
0: Yeah. I mean, just having an identity online is just weird in general. But that kind of leads into what we're talking about today. It does.
1: It does. I was going to say, we're getting better, guys. (laughs) Perfect segue. Let's talk about life online, but more specifically when it comes to body image and kind of everything that falls under that umbrella.
0: Yeah. And um, why we wanted to talk about this today, and we'll definitely go a bit deeper. We kind of want to follow some structure here. But um, Jacqueline, I like texted her a couple weeks ago. And I was like, you know what, I like with as much time that I spend on TikTok, I feel like something good has come from that. And that's in regards to my body image. And so I texted her that and she's like, dude, I feel the same way.
1: (laughs) I really do feel like I found a community within TikTok that I haven't found on any other social media that is really leading me to be like more aware of the way I talk about myself, the way I view myself, the way I talk about my body and like wanting to do it better. Um, Taylor Knight, I, she texted me. I was like same instantly, like four or five creators came to mind where I'm like their videos or the comment sections on their videos or their Instagram or their podcast. Like it's really allowed me to find so many resources to, feel happier, healthier, but TikTok has really, I think just changed my mindset a bit. I think that Instagram so quickly became a place of filters and a place of face tune and it was very calculated and TikTok feels like a place where you can show up a little bit more honestly and I really do feel like very positively towards that.
0: Yeah, same. I think even just like the form of content, like images are very flat. Text is very flat. You can easily ignore both. But when it comes to TikTok, of course, you can swipe to a different video, but it starts right away. There's nothing that you press. So and video is just more dynamic. You're seeing more about a person. I think you feel more connected when you hear someone's voice and and see their face. And so I think just, like, the way the content's delivered on the app makes it more effective. And I didn't – I honestly, before TikTok, didn't realize that there was so many people out there having really interesting conversations and thoughts. I think it's really easy for us. Like, sometimes I feel like a lot of of the – like – and this is true to some extent, but, like, sometimes I feel like a lot of the world is, like, I don't know, dumb, for the lack of a better world. I'm, like, people are just dumb, right? Like, people say yeah. that all the time. Like, they're dumb, they're shitty drivers, they're this, this, and this. And so sometimes that, like, becomes what we're, like, conditioned to think about what uh, how other people are. But, like, since being on TikTok and seeing how many people are having interesting conversations, like, yes, there are really dumb people out there. But there are also very smart people out there, and they're creating content online just as much as the dumb people are. And to that, I say, keep going, <laughs> please. <laughs> and to that, I say, where are
1: people making content? Is it dumb? Questionable. Yeah.
0: Um. <laughs> yeah, that's up for the public to decide, not for us.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not going to spend too much time thinking about it.
0: <laughs> right. So, uh, in regards to body image, I did, like, look up some definitions because I just wanted, you know, I think people, body image can get really subjective because it's a really personal thing. But overall, body image in itself is defined as a mental representation that an individual creates of themselves, but it may or may not bear any relation to how one actually appears. <laughs> um, I think we can all be like, yep, <laughs> we can relate. <laughs> Um, obviously once that gets to like in the extreme form is when, um, someone has body dysmorphia and they, you know, you basically get obsessed with, it could be your body overall or just a certain thing about your body and thinking that that looks ugly or just different than how you look to everyone else, which is crazy. I, I think about it sometimes too, how we, um, never really get to see ourselves as a person because we are that person. So like even in a mirror, a mirror is a 2D image. Pictures are 2D images. Anything on a screen is flat. So you're not seeing yourself in like your full physical form. So that trips me out. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: always think about that too whenever uh not to get too meta again. Um, but whenever people are like, yeah, I felt like I was watching from above myself or I was like having an out of body experience. I'm like, you don't even know what that looks like. Like, I don't, I can't even conceptualize. I mean, yes, I can like the out of body experience thing. I understand what it is, but I don't know what I look like in this moment. Like looking down at me, it's, it is one of those things where, I mean, we always say like, don't perceive me. (laughs) But in ways, you kind of have to be careful about perceiving yourself, too, because the reality is what you're seeing is just flat 2D images. And it's what you're seeing of other people, too. One thing with TikTok, too, is I think the movement portion. Taylor, like you said, like pictures and captions, like just pictures and text are very flat. But in TikToks, when I'm able to see people like move in their bodies That's been something that's really big and really noticeable of, oh, this is a person who they're going on a run and they show me a video of their cherry tomato face dripping with sweat, looking like a mess. And this is a different image than what I would see on TikTok of like a pre-run photo somehow wearing a full face of makeup as opposed to on TikTok, I'm seeing like six miles in dry heaving on the side of the road content. And I feel like I relate with that more. I was just wanting to to kind of tie that in of how you perceive yourself and how we perceive others. This isn't like a TikTok-based conversation, but TikTok really has allowed me to be kinder to myself and it's interesting that like an app that everyone says is for 13-year-olds has like brought you and I both a lot of like peace and clarity on something that like women struggle with probably their whole lives. It's it's upsetting and it's unfortunate, but I mean, I remember the first time I felt self-conscious about the way my body looked. I was in like third or fourth grade and I could have a conversation with you know, my grandmother, and she could probably tell me that she doesn't like the way her body looks for whatever reason.
0: Mm-hmm. I know. It really affects women of all ages and, you know, since pretty much the beginning of time. Um, one stat that I found that, like, I had to pause for a moment because it hurts to read, um, is that nearly half of of girls age three to six years old say they worry about being fat. (laughs) Oh my God. Like I, it didn't hit me when I was six, that's for sure. But that's a recent stat now. And I, that's basically like learning one of your first like sentences. (laughs) Like you're just learning to talk and like have actual conversations when you're, Three. I don't know if you could call it the <laughs>
1: You're developing but. a personality for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then that's literally one of the first things that you start to worry about. Like that's, that's insane. And, um, you know, the beauty standards over the years have really been used to control women. And then also like pin us against each other. Because like historically women who have bodies that have fit, the ideal body image for that period or or it's easier for them to Mm -hmm. have power
1: i mean there's an idealized body type for a reason and i think one of the realized one of the reasons it's idealized is because we as women see the way you can navigate when you look a certain way we see um the confidence, the attention, the success of when somebody looks very stereotypically, very archetypally, is that a word? Uh, Beautiful. And it's hard because even though, you know, you may be beautiful in your own way. I mean, we all are like, we're all beautiful, but when you see the positive reinforcement happening, to a woman or to a group of women who look nothing like you, you do really start to question and turn inward to try and find some understanding or some clarity, and unfortunately, it that turns negative. Um, it's never like, oh, you know, they're size two, five nine, blonde. They're beautiful. Well, I am 5'5", size 6, you know, not crazy, but still not a size 2, brown hair, unibrow. (laughs) I don't look like that. And so it is a very interesting thing. Instead of just being like, oh, they look away, I look away, it's they look the right way, I look the wrong way. And I think now at 27, I don't talk to myself like that. I don't feel that way. But that was definitely like the hump I had to get over to get to a place where – to get to the place I am now, I guess. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. That was so smart. And I found this one author, Hilda Linman Nelson. um, She termed this – she coined this term – Infiltrated consciousness, so uh, I'll just read this quote. When social and cultural factors dictate how a woman should look, more than just her self-esteem is damaged. She allows a part of her identity to be overwritten by social standards, causing a deeper type of harm called infiltrated consciousness. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, (laughs) let's just sit with that. It's, It's really... Like, we would, we really would not worry about these things if society didn't feed us the narrative that it does around beauty. And what's scary, I mean, this is not even just coming down to what we look like, but actually how we identify and like feel value and love in this world. And you could see, like, you know when this is affecting women or children that are three to six years old, um, that's truly how bad it's gotten. (laughs) And that's sad. And um, I think that goes into, you know, women who are fat and fat phobia. And I read a lot. Jacqueline, neither of us are plus size women. Um, You know, we're both straight sizes. But um, so we did do a good amount of research to round out our perspective on this. And, you know, in the world, like a lot of what causes them the most harm in society is not actually being fat, but it's how they're perceived in the world because of their fatness. And, um, you know, that leads to a lot of bigotry and hate around being fat and can, you know, leads to doctors overlooking certain things in fat people. Um, people, it's still legal to be fired for being fat um, and di- discriminated against in the workplace for being fat. I mean, fat people, they earn le- less money than their thin counterparts and coworkers. And then, of course, we all probably are aware of fashion being not inclusive of many sizes, even some straight sizes. There's some fashion brands that even I can't fit into um, as a straight-sized woman. And then just representation in media in general, which you could say is getting better, but also the fat women that exist in media are not the fat women That probably exist in your everyday life. Um, They definitely look a certain way and have certain features. They still have the right, the curves in the right places, right? And no hate to them, but, you know, even though there's more representation in media, it's still very Mm -hmm. exclusive. (laughs)
1: I was just watching a TikTok video actually that was talking about this specifically. And it was saying that when we look at some of the bigger plus size or curvy models, they still have a body type of, you know, hourglass with a flat stomach. Yes, they're in plus sizes, but they still have a flat stomach. They're still pictured, you know, wearing crop tops in modeling campaigns when models with rounder stomachs are not. Models with rounder stomachs aren't even in most campaigns. You know, Ashley Graham is a beautiful woman who happens to be plus size, but even her body type is not realistic or, excuse me, is not the norm for plus sized people. And I think the conversation that we have around fat people or around people being fat, excuse me, kind of misses it. It's almost like, no, you're not fat, but some people very much are. And so to like almost gaslight them and say that they're not doesn't help move the conversation forward to say like, oh, well, you know, if you, you just want to feel good in your clothes. If you feel good at like a size 22, like that's on you, which even like that comes across like very shitty. Imagine if you know, for me, if I had a friend who was half of my size she and she was talking to me and she was like, yeah, you know, I just got to a size where I didn't like the way that I look. It's fine that you like the way that you look at your size, but I just don't. It sounds almost crazy because someone who's half of my size definitely is skinny, but... We as straight people who wear straight sizes, as people who are mid-sized to plus-sized, we all need to understand and have a little bit more. I think like grace when navigating these conversations. I feel like with weight and with like fatness overall. I come from a family um, where, of my grandparents, there there was a time where they were all morbidly obese. My Several people in my family have had their stomach stapled. Thyroid conditions leading to excessive weight gain is very common in my family. Gastric bypass is very common in my family. So although it's not something that I've ever had to navigate, the conversations around size and weight were always things that kind of were happening in my home. And I think it's a difficult thing to navigate. And because you wear it, because you walk into every room and your size is apparent, I think people feel like they have a right to speak on it in some ways or that they understand it because they can see it. And just like you said, Taylor, as two women who wear straight sizes who are not in this category, We're not trying to speak at all like we understand what it's like to be a fat person. We understand what having body image issues feels like. We understand what it's like to live in a looks-obsessed society. We can navigate certain aspects of it but there's definitely things that we're turning to others for to like lead the conversation and i think maybe at the end of the episode we can like i'd love to share some like creators we started this convo talking about tiktok so by the end i'd love to share some folks on tiktok or instagram who i think are doing like a really good job leading the plus-sized conversation
0: yeah definitely we can put them all on the show notes too Yeah, because, you know, Jacqueline and I obviously don't face discrimination um, for the way we look in our bodies like other people do. And I think, I I was always shocked. So growing up, like, the conversation around health and weight, it it was never, I don't know, I feel like growing up, the conversation about, like, Dieting and stuff was never about health. It was always about weight. And now we're starting to see that kind of turn to where it's about health, but people are equating fatness with being unhealthy. And this is something I was even shocked to learn. I watched a TED Talk a while ago. I couldn't refine what TED Talk it was, but I did find an article that summarized some of the same findings. And so we'll link this down below, too, in case you want to pick fact check us, um, which you should. <laughs> but so weight loss. Okay. So about anywhere from one third to three quarters of people classified as obese or metabolically healthy. <laughs> so about two, th- one third to three quarters of obese people are actually healthy. And then on the flip side of that, about a quarter of non-overweight people are unhealthy. Um, so the percentages are about the same there. Uh, so, and this TED talk, I, I, if I do find it, I will put it in the show notes, but it had great graphs that show that basically weight has little to do about your actual health. And there's a great movement about that called health at every size, Um, So if you haven't heard about that, I would look that up. But basically, you know, we equate weight with that. And I think it comes from capitalist principles because this research is not new. It was definitely new to me when I heard it, but it's not new that people have been talking about this for at least a decade um, but why it's not mainstream is because the diet industry is valued at 192 billion dollars um just in 2019 uh, and i'm sure the number is even higher now uh, with the whole wellness movement right like i feel like wellness wasn't even a movement like you know six year it went out when we were in college <laughs> like a little bit with the start of the soul cycle <laughs> yeah. and whatnot but <laughs> but so I just think that's wild. And that's something really that I've had to unlearn and break that, that chain in my brain that connects fatness to being unhealthy because it's just not the case. And uh what happens a lot too, like I mentioned earlier, doctors literally spend less time in the office with fat people. They, will run less tests on them. They'll tell them to lose weight or praise them for losing weight, even if it's in unhealthy manners. When they're literally not eating, doctors will say, oh, good job. Keep up the good work. And um, there's been, you know, hundreds of probably hundreds of thousands. I'm sure there's plenty we don't know about where people have literally later found out that they have a life threatening issue unrelated to being obese. But it wasn't looked at because the doctor just decided, oh, you're just unhealthy because you're fat.
1: (laughs) Well, and two, I've heard many testimonials, many stories from folks who, you know, they go into the doctor to discuss an issue and the doctor ties the issue directly to weight. And that the solution is weight loss, which for some things, like that can very well be true. If you're an overweight person and you're having a lot of joint pain, for example, like weight loss or change of diet could be really helpful so that you're not like inflaming your joints. However, it doesn't mean that every health thing that's going on with someone is tied back to their weight. That doesn't, that's not true for folks who are, you know, mid-size and below Um, but it seems like for a lot of folks when they are plus size the first conversation that any medical provider wants to have with them is the weight conversation which you know not everybody who is overweight not everyone who's fat not everyone who's plus size whatever category you would like put yourself in not everyone in those positions is like having a battle with their body. There are a lot of people who feel very comfortable at their size and very comfortable at their weight. But imagine if you were one of those people who was struggling with your weight and knowing that anytime you brought up a real concern, you were basically gaslit and told that your weight was your only problem. That would very much lead to like negative self talk and a really hard path to go down. And then not to take this on too much of a tangent, but there's also this whole thing of no one's going to love you until you learn to love yourself. But then we have a conversation with people that they're unlovable at their size. And so they have to lose weight, dangerously or not, in order to like find self-acceptance and then for others to accept them. It just, when you like really outline it like even just having this conversation with you it just feels like your weight and your body size are thrown in your face a lot i feel that way at my size let alone if i was you know a few sizes bigger
0: yeah definitely and i think it just ignores the conversation uh, like around systemic issues that people face of why they gain weight in the first place and systemic issues of how hard it can be how hard it can be for some people to lose weight and also losing weight depending on how you know quickly you do it is obviously it's not always healthy and not always mm-hmm.
1: healthy oh i was going to say too you mentioned that you know in like our capitalist society and Weight and capitalism are very closely tied. I think the reason that a lot of us have a stigma against, you know, even our own selves gaining weight or bigger folks in life is it's tied to laziness. And in capitalism, productivity and your bottom line and adding to society in, you know, dollar amounts is where your worth is. And so if you are a bigger person or a person with a little bit more weight, there's almost like a threshold when it becomes too much, when you're too big, and therefore you are sloppy, unhealthy, and undesirable, which, as we all know, those things are untrue. I think- Mm -hmm. I'm going to bring up someone's body and talk about it a bit. She's a public figure and she talks about it. So I hope that, you know, we're all on board with this, y'all. But Lizzo, I think, is a great example. She showcases vegan recipe after vegan recipe. She exercises. She's working hard to be a performer. That's what means something to her is to get up on stage and perform for four hours a night. And she does it and she kicks ass. And she does it at a plus size. And for whatever reason, a lot of the comments on her social media, a lot of the conversation about Lizzo is that she's fat, when truly, like, that's the least interesting thing about her. And her fatness is also not tied to her health. She's very healthy.
0: She could run circles, probably around 90% of the people we know. Yeah, myself included. And, yeah, me too, for sure. And tire my ass out, you know. Um, So, you know, weight does not dictate how well someone's going to, or how, weight does not show how much someone exercises or how fast someone can run a, a mile or any of that. It's, it, it doesn't, there's no predictability or relation, like, the relationship between those two is basically non-existent. (laughs) It's really a person-to-person thing. But yeah, like I even noticed this in my own life. Like I went to this personal trainer uh, years ago and I like, it was a three-month thing and I was like, I'm going to do everything that this guy says because I was like paying a decent amount of money and I really wanted to lose weight. And I, like, was going to the gym hard, like, six days a week, lifting really heavy, intermittent fasting, protein shakes. I was measuring out all my food. Wow. I was going hard for three months. I lost, like, four pounds. And then at the end of it, the personal trainer was like, well, were you following the meal plan? Like, were you doing this, this, and this? And I'm like, yes, I was. (laughs) And he was just like in shock. And it's like my body just didn't respond well to that. And then a few months later, I went back to being vegetarian. I stopped all forms of exercise besides walking. I would literally walk a mile (laughs) a day. And that's when I lost weight. So it's also interesting to me like all these techniques that people – like promote to lose weight or say that it's easy to lose weight, I I disagree with like after going through that myself, like that was not easy. And I was putting in my maximum effort and getting nothing out of it. And, you know, it's still hard for me too mentally to like, I'm still working on breaking a lot of these bonds in my brain because there's still days that I really struggle with what my body looks like especially like if somebody takes your photo that you don't like and then you see it. And then I even did that last night where I'm just like staring at a photo of myself. Someone just took and I'm like, Oh my God, like I don't even know how to make this photo look good or how to make myself look good in this photo. And, uh, uh and now I have like the awareness to at least be like, okay, stop fucking looking at the photo. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a bad photo. You don't look bad in it. It's just a bad photo. And, like, it takes me about 10 minutes of staring until I'm, like, finally, like, okay, put your phone down. (laughs) Don't look at it anymore. Um, But it's really hard. Like, you know, these things are so ingrained in our brain. And it's really hard to, like, consciously rewire them. Or just, like, to comment on people's bodies. Like, to just stop doing that. I'm trying to consciously stop doing that. But it's so hard in our society. Like, I even had a work challenge of who could lose the most percentage-wise weight in like a certain, in like three months or something. And I think that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, we
1: had, we had a work challenge. It was like a fitness challenge. So it was a little bit different. But yeah, like a lose weight one is pretty rough. And by the way, let me just say, I feel like work fitness challenges can no longer exist because... One, losing weight as, like, a team, weird, not doesn't need to be done. But two, I got a group of people together to do, like, our miles challenge. And I was like, cool, I ride my bike. This one girl goes climbing. Another girl goes on runs with her dog. Like, we're going to hit all these metrics. We're going to do great. And then half of the teams were people who all had Pelotons who ride like 50 miles every morning. And I was like, okay, well, this isn't even fun. There's like no competition here. I'm not going to ride 50 miles on my bicycle through, you know, Metro Phoenix. And it's like, if you weirdos want to wake up at 4.30 and go for a 50-mile Peloton ride, like that's that's you. And I don't want to hear, I truly don't even care to hear anything about it.
0: Right. You know, and luckily, its I don't think it's a show anymore, but The Biggest Loser, like...
1: Yeah, I did love The Biggest Loser, though. I don't know why.
0: I did watch it, but, I mean, that, that was our culture. Like, that's what we grew up with around health. Like, all the conversations we had around health growing up, at least for me, were all centered about weight. They weren't, like... Getting enough nutrients or eating a well rounded diet, like even the food pyramid that we learned growing up, um, was like a yeah. fucking scam, and um, or like milk being healthy.
1: I think about that, I think about that all the time. Like, I do love milk and the like three a day, have your three dairy products a day. I do think that, like, as a kid growing up, like for me and my body, like. Cheese, milk, fruits, veggies, they were like all good things. But the three a day, like milk requirement, like three dairy products, the got milk, it was an ad campaign. Like everything in the. It's hard. I don't want to like tie everything back to like in capitalist America, in capitalist America. But like. W- That's where we live though. <laughs> but like when money talks and when dollars drive and. When a smart marketing campaign truly can, like, change the face of your population and change the way we operate, like, that's a direct tie to capitalist America. Like, putting dairy on some, you know, pedestal is because the the dairymen and the dairy union or the dairy lobbyists did, like, a really good job and they, like, probably got a pay raise.
0: Yeah. I read this book a couple of years ago, it's called If Our Bodies Could Talk. Okay, okay. yes, I, I read this book a couple of years ago called If Our Bodies Could Talk. It's written by um, this guy, James Hamblin. Um, he's an MD, and I believe now he's the editor in chief at The Atlantic, I think, or he works at The Atlantic. But, anyways, he went to med school and everything, was a doctor, quit being a doctor to go into medical journalism. But he does a really good job of talking about diet and how uh, there was this whole board that like came together, like from different countries, all these famous like nutritionists and doctors in that sort of, in that field came together to discuss what is the healthiest diet for humans and none of them could really agree on anything <laughs> at all. They all had their own different opinions, like meat, no meat, dairy, no dairy. It was kind of across uh, all over the board. Like the only thing that they could really deduct from the whole seminar that they spent days and days discussing was that it's important to have a diet that consists of a lot of like fresh and whole foods. So produce—it's <laughs> yeah. important to eat produce and plants, but they—they d- they didn't give us any other guidelines. Well, like how much meat to eat or how much dairy to eat, they just could not agree. And um, I think that just really reinforces and backs up the idea that like health is such a personal thing that it's you know it just varies from person to person of what's healthy. Like you know, I remember reading that like Michael Phelps eats, you know probably like 2,500, 3,000 calories a day, but it's because he swims so much, Mm -hmm. then burns those calories. Like that's healthy for him. For somebody else, you know, it it, it just, you have to look at it from a holistic view for that individual. So I thought that was just really interesting that even all the experts in the whole world (laughs) could not agree on what it means to eat healthy. Um, But I think that's like more important to talk about is like you know i've i like this idea of mindful eating Mm -hmm. to really like listen to what your body is telling you if you eat this and then feel this way maybe you know that's probably your body telling you that's we don't like that Mm -hmm. that much and trying to eat more around that and just like be conscious about that rather than any sort of diet out there because diets do not work. That's proven.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And also to constrict yourself, diets will maybe work for like a period of time, but truly the majority of diets out there are so restrictive that they're not intended for like long-term use. Even the majority of people who are vegan on average are vegan for less than five years just because it feels so black and white. It feels so binary that you either like choose to have this eating lifestyle routine or you choose not to. But I think your comment of like a more holistic approach is it really does need to be based on the individual. And it's unfortunate that some people are afforded more time and resources than others. Um, There are some people who, you know, maybe don't have access or don't have easy access to fresh local produce, but so many of these things are just, or so many of these things that we believe to be true are just based off of one expert telling us that that's the way or one influential person telling us that that's the way, like even you mentioned intermittent fasting. My boyfriend does intermittent fasting and I tried it off and on. Sometimes I'm not hungry. So in the mornings I don't eat, but I've been seeing more and more articles coming out that say intermittent fasting is not beneficial to a woman's metabolism. We process fat differently, especially when we're like in our, um, Ew, like baby years? What do you call that? (laughs) Especially when we're like in this, you know, post-puberty getting into being an adult woman. Anyway, um, our bodies are processing the fat and it's metabolizing differently. So intermittent fasting may not be beneficial for you. It would be so much, or I don't know, I was going to say it would be so much easier if we all just like knew what to do or knew what to eat or knew that it was some rule. But I think that in some ways, like we should be really thankful and feel really lucky that there isn't one way to do it. It's really figuring out what makes you feel good. And that's what you eat, how you, how you eat. (laughs) And also like how you move your body. It's different for everyone. And I also think too, like I, this is something that I've been realizing more and more And I wonder if you've noticed this at all, Taylor, just like what men say in regards to women's fitness, I just don't really listen to anymore. I do go and work out with my boyfriend. We are now legally obligated to a gym for the next six months. Um, That was like a whole debacle. Um, We both walked out and we're like, so how much are we paying a month? And I was like, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just meant, it's like meant to be confusing. And so I don't blame anybody who gets, yes. oh, but it is really difficult to navigate. And so I don't blame anybody who feels like very overwhelmed at even where to start. But one thing that I am coming to terms with and realizing more and more is that, you know, my male friends who are on an all protein intermittent fasting diet is that's not the lifestyle for me. And also to get on a diet that's like super restrictive isn't the way I want to like live my life. I want to be able to go out and have dinner with my friends and really treat myself to a meal that is just delicious and indulgent. And I don't want to have negative talk about it with my friends at dinner. I don't want anybody to say like, oh, this is too much or "Oh, I can't do it. Or, I mean, if you're full, stop eating. But uh, (laughs) the number of times I've been out with people and and it's like, oh, that or this has so much butter. Oh, this is too heavy. Or, oh, and it's like, no, we're going to sit here. We're going to eat it. We're going to enjoy it. And I don't want any conversation amongst us friends talking about how gross we feel. And I don't want any conversation in my head telling myself how gross I am.
0: Totally. Uh, Yeah, I mean... Historically, women's bodies are way understudied on anything in the medical field, and nutrition is not any different. Our hormones are so different than men's, and those are really influenced by what we eat on the day-to-day. And it's like, you know, people that are really into fitness, and I have no hate to how anybody wants to live their life, but that is a level of commitment to being eating that way and working out that way. And it's totally fine if you want to make that decision and commitment for yourself, but to think that other people are like lazy or unhealthy because they're not also making the same decision is just fucked up and not true. But like, I've definitely gone through those mental gymnastics in my mind about what I eat or like, oh, if I eat this now, then I won't eat this later or I'll go work out later or even just like the calories of things. Like sometimes even when, because I've done different, uh, I've tried a lot of different apps to lose weight and dieting stuff. Um, Probably been on them all. i was in like when I was seeing that trainer, I was you know trying to be a fr- fitness bro, basically like almost thinking that oh, if I'm really successful at successful at this, maybe I could do like bikini competitions and show. Like I wanted to do all that, so I was in it. I was researching all that stuff, so I know what these people's like, what their thought processes are, what they're thinking, what they're saying, and um. You know, so sometimes that stuff is still ingrained in my brain to where like, oh, I know that an egg is usually around seven calori- or 70 calories and has, you know, this X amount of grams of protein because I was counting that stuff for so long. And so sometimes now I'll have days where I'm like, okay, I ate this. This was 150 calories, so I could eat this later. And that's about like 350 calories. And then, you know, then I'll have, you know, 800 calories left for dinner. <laughs> And I have days where I think about that stuff still. And, you know, I try to catch myself and it's still hard. I mean, and it's hard to live like that. Like that's, that really takes you out of the present moment and just being in life and enjoying yourself. And obviously there's limits I mean, I don't think anybody wants to eat to the point where they feel like shit for the next five hours. And, you know, we've probably all done it. Okay? <laughs> My body doesn't like dairy, but I sure as hell like ice cream right now and then. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's just interesting.
1: And, well, and I think you sharing that is really helpful, too, because it does really illustrate that for some people, this is exhausting. Like to think about your caloric intake and now this does like get to a point where body image, fat phobia, all of these things, it can get to like a mental health point and it can get to the point where like, you know, mental health intervention or a mental health diagnosis could be really beneficial to wherever people are at. Like if you have anxiety or ADD and have chosen to like fixate on your weight or on health also, you know, eating disorders, we kind of briefly touched on body dysmorphia at the beginning, but you can get to such a place where you have a hard time navigating. But even for you and me, people who have a good, ta- a good time navigating, you know, we're, we're on the path, we're on the journey the same as everyone else, but to be going through your caloric intake in a day and to be, you know, checking nutrition labels of everything you eat, maybe you're not even doing it on purpose, but maybe you're like, it's a Saturday, you've got some time, you're slowly making yourself lunch, and you're just going to read the labels of everything as you make your meal. And I don't know, for me, sometimes as I read the labels, I get to a point where I'm like, this is unhealthy and I don't even want to eat it. And it's unfortunate. And I think that like awareness and also awareness but also finding like your safe places to land whether in your own head but also like with people I just went uh, last weekend or when this episode comes out I think it'll be a couple weekends ago but did a little like girls trip up north and I was hanging with some friends for the whole weekend and we were able to really have some good conversations I was asking them like so are there things that you like do or don't want to talk about in front of your kids? Something that I think about a lot is I don't want to talk about my body at all in front of my kids, um, my non-existent hypothetical children. I only want to talk about my body in ways that it is strong and powerful and nourished, and I hope that those little things will eventually get us to a place where the narrative about our bodies is kinder and more understanding and more forgiving because I feel like I've been very not understanding of my body and not forgiving.
0: Yeah, I definitely have, you know, I'll drop this in here. There'll probably be questions. So maybe we do an episode on this later, but um, in college I got breast implants, which I got removed actually to two years ago now and going through that journey, was pretty wild. Um, Just like any change in your body, especially when it's that abrupt, it honestly doesn't make you feel good. (laughs) And it also kind of confuses you some more. I I mean, this is my experience, right? But like, it wasn't a fix for me. And I think also, you know, that needs to be part of the conversation where our society is going with so much plastic surgery, And it's getting more accessible, like with fillers and Botox, and you don't have to go under the knife to have like plastic surgery now. And there's so many ways that you can change your body. And I really think we need to ask ourselves why we want to do these things and, you know, what's going to happen from doing them. I think another great example of someone to look into before getting any plastic surgery is Heidi Montag. I think that was her name from the Hills and her journey. She got so many plastic surgeries. And um, if you haven't seen her since the Hills, she truly is unrecognizable. Not that she looks bad, but truly looks like a hundred percent, a different person than when she started getting plastic surgery. And we just need to ask ourselves why. Like, do you want a daughter that grows up worrying about these things and wants to change things about herself because she doesn't feel valued enough? And, you know, do we want three-year-olds and six-year-olds to be thinking about when they can get breast implants and waiting for that day when they're old enough? Or when they can get lipo or, you know... x y and z like we just need to uh, we we need to not only think about what it does to ourselves because truly at this point the damage is already done for us we can course correct but we've already experienced it so i think we need to be more so thinking about what we're doing to other people and especially our children future children when we're thinking about these things (laughs)
1: I think we should a million percent do a plastic surgery episode because I've even been hearing things too about like BBLs, Brazilian butt lift, like Miami is becoming an epicenter for people to go and get this like fast and quote unquote easy plastic surgery when it's actually incredibly dangerous. Anytime you go under the knife, there are risks and to put yourself at the age of 18 under the knife to adjust your body when your adult body is still forming. I would never discredit or give any person a hard time if they chose to have plastic surgery. I think it's an individual choice. But I think if we can have a more open conversation without it being critical or without people feeling criticized, Like the people who get plastic surgery, I would never mean to criticize, but I think just having a really open conversation of, you know, why did it, did it feel like a resolution? I think maybe for some people it might, I think if you had a huge insecurity that was like very aware, this is like a very small thing, but my brother had a mole on the center of his forehead. It was like pretty big. People would always point it out. Um, It was usually older people. Older people always said it was a good omen. Like the number of times like old little like Greek or Italian grandmas would be like, oh, it's a sign of money. It's good fortune or whatever. Mm -hmm. But my brother used to get teased about it. I think that people pointed it out. And then when kids point something out, it becomes teasing. It becomes, you know, giving someone a hard time. And I remember my brother got it the mole removed and I was like, this is insane. Why are we letting him getting it removed? And my mom was like, it's something that he wants to do. It's truly, it's like a mole. The dermatologist will do it. Technically, you know, like skin cancer runs in the family. This isn't like a huge deal. And I agree. I was like 15 years old, like really on a high horse <laughs> about my mm-hmm. brother's mole. But it was interesting because my brother, he always wore his hair long, like almost completely over his eyes because he hated this thing that was on his forehead. And as soon as it got removed, he went and got a short haircut and it really was like his confidence changed. So I feel like for some people, if when you look in the mirror, you feel like there's something that's inhibiting you from being yourself. If you feel like whatever it is would be a huge enhancement of who you are are, I feel like you should have that, whether it's a mole or plastic surgery. However, who who and why and where are you getting your information? And it does need to come, there needs to be some internal validation and acceptance too. Like you said, you felt almost, you know, un- Is foreign an okay thing to say? Like, you felt a little bit, like, foreign with where your body was at, and it's an adjustment. Like, your body looks different, so you're having to introduce yourself to your body and get reintroduced back.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I was even insecure about my forehead till college, and Jacqueline will remember my extreme (laughs) side-swept bangs. (laughs) I literally, on windy days, remember walking to class, and I would hold my hand on my bangs to make sure that my bangs wouldn't blow up so that, God forbid, anyone would see my forehead. And then I realized, you know, who else has a big forehead is Rihanna. And Rihanna looks fucking fire all the time. (laughs) Um, So I stopped worrying about my forehead. And I I think that's, like, what TikTok has done for me, like you know, because our brains are so conditioned with these things, it's really hard to just like break on our own. And um, TikTok is kind of a way to do that subconsciously by following creators that have different body types that are talking about it, or just honestly, they don't even have to be talking about it. They can just be existing and sharing themselves and being confident in themselves. And I look at These creators that are doing that, that have all different types of bodies. And I never once think, oh my God, they should not be wearing that. Oh my God, they look terrible. I always think they look so fucking good. They look so confident. They look so happy. I want to be them. (laughs) And seeing so many people with all these different bodies, I'm like, if all these people can look good and they all have different bodies than me. And some of them sometimes, you know, some people have similar bodies as me and they look great. I'm like, then why can't I? Why can't I feel the way I I feel about them for myself? And it's starting to help me feel that way.
1: (laughs) I I totally agree. And I think to your point of sometimes not even talking about it, just like seeing them, just like seeing people who look and maybe not even like me but like seeing folks who look different than the models i'm seeing on instagram seeing the way that they style their clothes seeing the way that they're active seeing the way that they move their body seeing the way that they talk about themselves it's it's really allowed me to see myself in that same way and for it to be almost kind of incognito it's very like fly under the radar for me personally Kind of a weird thing. I've always been very insecure about my my butt and my hips. I remember being in seventh grade and telling myself, well, I'll wear a two-piece bathing suit, but I'll wear shorts on the bottom because I can suck in my stomach. I can't suck in my legs, which is, like, crazy that 12-year-old me was, like, having this conversation probably in, like, someone in my class is like, at their pool party, like, in their bathroom, <laughs> talk, like, hyping myself up to, like, feel comfortable to, like, go out in front of my seventh grade class but I still to this day have a hard time wearing shorts in middle school I wear Bermuda shorts yikes um (laughs) I
0: hey they're back in style I (laughs) was gonna
1: say and like I am not my legs are fine there was a period of time where I felt a little bit more confident I go in and out There was a period of time where I was like into cutoffs but I have a little bit bigger of a butt than some people so like if my butt's hanging out the bottom of a pair of shorts doesn't make me feel great. Um, makes me feel a little, uh, little sloppy, which is unfortunate tying back to the sloppiness of capitalism, but whatever. But on TikTok, I'm seeing all of these women and you know, they're not girls. It's not 17 year old girls. It's not 19 year old girls. I'm seeing 25 year old women, 30 year old women, 40 year old women who are like cool and are dressing cool. and, it's summertime and they put on an outfit that helps them feel literally temperature cool and they feel confident and it's shorts and a tank top. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to deny myself shorts and a tank top. I just, I don't care to do it anymore. And yes, you could be like, it's TikTok is just an app, but it's, it's the people that are on TikTok. And I did want to touch on too. I do think that sometimes TikTok is a little bit, Insular, I think it's sometimes a little bit of an echo chamber. Like if you wind up liking enough content, you're going to keep getting more content back like that. So there very much is a chance that other folks are looking at TikTok and they are just seeing filler videos. They are just seeing BBLs. They are just seeing hashtag glow ups. Um, And if that's what you're seeing, I encourage you to truly like stop, whether it's on your Instagram, TikTok in real life stop liking it if it doesn't make you feel good know that the more you like it and engage with it whether it's you know anything that like makes you not feel good your body or otherwise quit engaging in it because that's how the algorithm works like truly the more times you comment or the more times you send it to someone or the more times you like these posts you're gonna get more of them so i think i feel and I'm assuming you do too, Taylor, that I've been fortunate enough to like like the right kind of videos that now I have a really good sweet spot with where I'm at in um in my online interactions. But for those of you who don't feel that way, like know that you can change it.
0: Yeah, totally. Just as much as we can and need to be mindful about what we're eating. Um we also need to be mindful of the media that we're consuming. And what's awesome about social media is that we have more power now to control what we are consuming to an extent, right? But before, everything was media-based, magazines. We had no control over what people were publishing in those and on TV shows. But now well, we do have power in our pockets to decide, okay, I'm not going to follow that person anymore. And, you know, I went through a mass unfollowing after I, like, saw the trainer and everything. Unfollowed all these bikini models or, like, any. I deleted my Pinterest board called Body Goals Ooh. and <laughs> yep, and just went through and weeded it out. And I was like, fuck this. I don't want to see this anymore because every time I look at this, it makes me feel bad. And I don't want to feel that way. Um. So it's important to go out of way out of your way to make sure what the content you're consuming is supportive of how you want to feel.
1: <laughs> Very well said. Yeah. Very well. And then we can just add we can just like tag people in Instagram and put them in the show notes cuz I was just realizing I didn't pull as many as I wanted to. I only have like two people, so
0: Well, we've really enjoyed having this conversation, um, even if it's not the lightest topic, but that's what we're here to do. And we're always interested in what you guys think, um, especially if you're a nutritionist or a registered dietitian. We would love to have you on. You want to come on the pod?
1: Truly would love. (laughs) Let us know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let us know. So, you know, we're on Instagram. We're on the internet. You can find us (laughs) anywhere. (laughs)
1: And the places you can find us are at Honey and Heart Pod on Instagram, honeyandheartpod.com for our website. Be sure to sign up for our email list once again. New videos drop every Wednesday, sometimes Thursday, maybe a Friday.
0: Um, But thanks for listening and being part of our community in the chaos. Bye, Jacqueline. Bye, Taylor. (laughs)